What we do here is go back, 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 back. Okay, we're back. Season started. Second episode in. I'm Happy screaming February, like crazy. Everybody. What's wrong with you? What's wrong I don't with know. you? I, I thought I took care of the screaming and you took care of the Ali stop screaming. And now look at you. Are you is this premeditated? No, this, no. Uh, I mean, not premed. What's that called? Um, when you do so proactive? Is this proactive scream- is screaming so that no? You're like, I, let me get keep... ahead of the screaming to make out. No, what, what, ki- what kills me is that it's going to be a nightmare to edit. Should we start over? Should we start? No, over? no, not at all. Not at all. <laughs> oh boy, I don't do the editing, and so I laugh, folks. In case you're yeah. wondering, what's he so excited about? The editing's going to be a nightmare. It's not my nightmare. Ah, oh, couldn't be more excited. Anyway, I hope everyone's doing well. Um, how is it's, it's like you know we're in the depths of winter now. We have listeners from everywhere, so everybody's winter is a little bit different. Yeah. But um, this is the time where people's, you know, motivation, that motivation that you start the year with has failed. So I hope you're still feeling good. I'll tell you about, Marco, I had a massive failure of a day yesterday. Oh, no. Here we go. And I think it's okay. Sometimes it's good to have a failure of that level so that you can be uh, reinvigorated for what, you know, reminded of what's important in life. Well, you look like a hot mess, so I can only imagine Thank where this you. is going. Thank okay. you. It's the I know the face is becoming quite large. Anyway, we go to we go on a road trip with the family. Oh, I didn't know Windsor, this. Okay. Ontario. Yes. Windsor, I know yes. a lot of people are like Grand Canyon, the Appalachian foothills. No, no. Windsor, Ontario. Now, I, Detroit's I ugly cousin. <laughs> hey, oh, some people say Detroit's Windsor is ugly. Anyway, Detroit is awesome. You should have crossed the border. So how I'm going to start my we response. Were, we were in a hotel looking at that border and that skyline at night. My kids were just so taken by that skyline. They were like, I can't believe you. The USA is right yeah. there. That's yeah. And I tried to tell them about the hellscape of Detroit that lurks beyond the skyline. They weren't hearing it. No, because they they're smart. not hearing it. And also my wife. Unbelievable. Never closed the blinds. Usually it's like, let's close the blinds. Don't want to wake up too early. Left the blinds open. Like it's just like the best view she ever had. Screw the Grand Canyon. I- I'm just going to go right. back to that same room in that same hotel. Listen, I'm tired <laughs> of people tired. picking on Detroit. Detroit is awesome. And I just want to say for our listeners, your family, your kids are the most lovely, wonderful kids. Your wife is spectacular. Right. And so I just need to set the scene so that they know that whatever comes out of your mouth next just indicates <laughs> what kind of bastard you are. Okay. <laughs> Oh God! Anyhow, so we had a nice time. Oh, and uh, okay. we had a nice time. And now Windsor is known for two things: pizza and shawarma. But we yeah. weren't there long enough to disrespect our bodies with both pizza and shawarma. So we're like, "What do we do? What do we do?" So I order a pizza that is a shawarma pizza, chicken okay. shawarma pizza. Yeah. So the toppings are the fantastic, like the the proper chicken, uh, the, the tahini sauce, uh, pickles, turnips, all the stuff that goes into a shawarma is now on a pizza. And it was actually quite good. And I realized I like this. I like this idea of taking something that exists and adapting it to your own. So for example, something that'll probably make you you upset is um, a place called Karachi Pizza that I saw in uh, in the outskirts of Toronto. That's fine. Every country is going to put their own thing. Like no, sure. most people, you're not shaving fresh ginger and having tandoori chicken pieces on a pizza. But if that's what you grew up loving, you're like, okay, I'll take that. You know, and I used to do the same thing with um, um, 
what is a frittata. I would take a yeah. frittata and I, I, you know, in my mind, I, I mastered the frittata that I love the most. Sure. And then all of a sudden I'm adding cilantro to a, a frittata on top of the basil. Right. Then I'm adding cumin seeds and I have leftover tandoori chicken. Now I have like this tandoori chicken frittata. And I think, you know, it's respectful of both things. Where the respect goes away, uh, Marco, is that we had leftover pizza, so we started our day with pizza for breakfast. I'm at nothing an age wrong with that. Not nothing really, wrong with uh, that. It's 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 a tough go. Okay. Uh, there's nothing wrong with it, but it was it was if it, we had left it there. Right. Then the road trip. You know, we're heading home. One of my sons have soccer. Has soccer, so we go. Oh, it's two hours to soccer. Let's stop. Let's get you a little something. It's noon. Let's get you a little something. But where are you? Because it's four hours to. To Windsor. Yeah, so I'm, we're heading back to like the, the GTA of Toronto, okay. right? Okay. Toronto. So we're a couple of hours away. We're like near London, Ontario. Okay. Let's get him a little something. Uh, McDonald's is here. Okay, we'll just get you a burger. You want a burger? He goes, yeah, I'll just have a cheeseburger. Are you sure? You don't want a Big Mac? You don't want anything else? Just a cheeseburger. He's a very simple guy. His ideal order, small fries, cheeseburger, small drink. That's okay. that's what he wants. I go, money's no object. What's your idea? That's what it is. So he's a very simple guy. But we're in the drive through and I go, you know what? I'm just going to get, I'll just get a filet of fish. Okay. And then my wife goes, okay, let's all just get something. Now the whole order comes in and my wife is scrambling to get coupons because McDonald's is way more expensive than it's it so was expensive. when she, it's, yes. It's so expensive. Fast food. It's so, so she's scrambling. And then um, she goes, okay, good. She's got the coupon. And then um, the lady goes, will that be all right through the drive through box? I go, yeah. I go, you know what? Give me a, a small order of those ghost pepper nuggets. And uh, my wife is like, oh, my God, there was a coupon for that. Why didn't you think? I was like, I, I was heat of the moment. You know, I want to try the ghost pepper. <laughs> research. It's research. You should I be know. the only one who eats it in the car and says, you cannot have this. I need to talk about this on the podcast. I know. it. They're not that hot. They're not that hot. Weirdly, they're not that hot. But with your nuggets, you can get like a habanero sauce. The habanero sauce is hotter than the ghost pepper wings. I really thought McDonald's would crank it up. We live in a world where, you know, Hot Ones is that show on YouTube is so yeah. popular. And yeah. young kids are doing these Dorito um, contests where they're eating like, I don't know what it's called, extreme heat. Whatever yeah, it like... is, it's making my mouth water right now. And it's making, uh, you know, it, it's making waves all over the place. Kids challenging themselves with the hottest of the hot stuff. So I really thought that ghost pepper would blow me away. It was it was nothing of any significance. Okay, you, And it, that's a nugget, not a wing. You said wing. That's a nugget. Yeah, Hot Ones is wings. Sorry. Right. And, and yeah, they no, are eating good. wings. They are yeah. eating chips. But yeah, I was having a nugget. Anyway, so that's now I've had pizza for breakfast and McDonald's for lunch. This is, this is you know, not good for my system. Then it's uh, dinner time after the kids' soccer. And we're like, we don't really have anything for dinner. We've been on a road trip for a few days. There's nothing at home. I see this Egyptian place, Egyptian sandwiches. Dude, you know, Egyptian sandwiches. I don't know what I thought, but it's like... Got cream cheese and then chicken and then another, our special sauce. Special sauce, you know what it was? It was mayo. It was yeah. mayo. That's yeah. all it was. It like was they do mayo. in Cairo. Like they do yeah. in Cairo, right? You open a you open a jar of Hellman's. Yeah. It was just lots of bread and lots of like, not processed meat, but still like heavy kebab and um, shawarma and all this kind of stuff. And um, I didn't sleep well, buddy. I mean, three fast food meals in one day, that's not my thing. No. I know you're looking at me and going, ideal day, bro, but that's yeah. not how I feel. I feel pretty awful today, and um, I'm just happy to be able to not eat for a few hours. I, th I think I'm going to go like half the day without eating. I didn't realize your New Year's resolution was the supersize me diet, but listen, whatever <laughs> works for you. 
Uh, you know, Godspeed. I don't work. know what to say. I'm sorry. Like, and what kills me, and you're not really saying it, is that was okay. Not a great day for your metabolism, for your health. But it was probably wasn't a great day for your wallet, too. No, it time... wasn't. In fact, um, the chicken shawarma pizza is one of the specialty pizzas. So yeah. we got we got a Greek and we got a chicken shawarma, and that's over 70 bucks for two pizzas. The, you know, McDonald's, as we say, you know, it's not it's not five dollars a head anymore. No, it's easily no. 10 bucks a head, you know, oh, unless more, you're really, more. Yeah. It's probably 20 bucks a head. Take it easy. And then the Egyptian was like, we got the family platter of sandwiches and fries. But uh, yeah, it's too many. I, I need a full week of zero fried food and uh, and probably zero sandwiches. I think I just got just too much. There's too much bread, processed bread. Maybe the good stuff. I'll get one of those $10 loaves from our friends, Matacione. Matacione, right. pardon yeah. me. And that's it. But anyway, yeah, I just, I have to say all that. To let you know, if you're like, hey, your eyes are puffy and your nose is blocked. I'm like, yeah, my body is so confused. My body's like, you don't, this is not how you treat us. This is not what you do. Yeah. At the very least, you have a tiny bit of respect for yourself and you pretend that you're better than this. Why so, aren't you better than this? So the, the question that no one's asking that needs to be answered is, oh, knowing all that, what did you have for breakfast this morning as we record no, 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 at 930? No, I, I'm still burping. I'm still, there's nothing. There's nothing. And in that's fact, your, uh, Yeah. And that's they, where you air. You should have a healthy breakfast, a thin consomme, I, I a thin no, consomme. I will, but I'm going to have it. I'm going to have it around 2 p.m., my friend. Jesus. I'm gonna, I need this. I need the stomach to rest. I need the stomach. There shouldn't okay. be anything in the stomach. It was so many calories in such a short period of time. Okay, well. Thin consomme is hilarious. You don't hear the word consomme too often. Not enough, man. I try, to, enough. I try to bring, I'm trying to bring it back one consomme at a time. As opposed to those thick consommes, but I still like the word thin beside it. All right, we're going to talk about something that's going to, um, um, well, probably digest our, uh, our food, Marco, because yeah, sure. uh, I think you and I are both pretty passionate about this. We're talking about this idea of cultural appropriation and where it affects food and how it comes in. And and for me, there's two sides to this argument. There's one very simple side, and then there's one very complicated side. But let's start with, you have some things that you are going to bring up in the world of cultural appropriation and food. Let's let's talk about this. It's such a loaded thing to talk about because especially, listen, I know I'm going to I'm going to get some feedback. I'm and people are probably going to be like, what is this guy talking about? But I think there's a there's a complexity here, right? Because people need to eat and people want to explore food with their palate, right? So where does cultural appropriation when it comes to cuisine, food and drink begin and end is the problem, right? So it's kind of like, oh, well, you you can't make that food because culturally it's not the food of your peoples, right? That's some of the argument that's being said, right? So I couldn't open up a restaurant that wasn't a North American restaurant or an Italian restaurant because that's my background. And so I have a tie to that. Let's say I wanted to open up um, a Chinese restaurant and call it Marco's Chinese, right? There might be some pushback. They'd be like, what is this white guy doing opening up a Chinese restaurant? But at the same time, it's like, then if you tell me I can't open up a restaurant in that cuisine, does it mean I can still eat that cuisine because that's not my people's food, right? And if that's the case, like I've seen my people's food 
taken to the extreme. In other words, Italian food, you said it off the top of the show, like you took a quintessential Italian dish, which is a pizza, and you slathered it with stuff that doesn't belong on a pizza, sort of, so to speak. Like my wife does Sense it all the time. You, but yes. <laughs> when we order a pizza, I order a traditional pizza and my wife likes to have a pizza with a base of barbecue sauce. And I can't tell you how it oh. destroys me inside. She yeah, likes a barbecue chicken a barbecue pizza. base, huh? And I'm wow. like, what is this? I was this? like, who orders this? I've always who, wondered who orders this. Who did I marry here? Who yeah. did I, like, Like, I'd rather be like punched in the face uh, but that's what I, that's what I married. And, 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 you know, it's one of those things, right? It's like, well, at what point can we say, or at what point do we say you can't do that when it comes to food or drink? I have something I want to talk about with drink too, but let's, let's stick sure. with food. Where do you sit well, on this? Well, here's where I sit on this. I, um, for me, it all comes down to profiteering. Okay. The biggest factor here is profiteering. So in your own home, you should be able to eat whatever the hell you want. You're behind closed doors. You're with family. You're even like at a, you know, a large gathering, whatever it is, make whatever you want, eat whatever you want, because I'm not really interested in meeting somebody who has, who is his, their idea of like food is just fries and gravy and steak. That's typically not a particularly fascinating person. That's suggested of somebody who doesn't want to explore, not open to different things. Not now. If you have stomach issues, if you have health issues, and that's what you're limited to, very different story. But, you know, I'm usually more excited to meet people who have traveled, who've eaten in different countries, who sure. had the uh, inspiration to cook things and remake things and 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 put their own creative twists on things. I like that in, in, in principle. And you can even, as soon as profit comes into the mix, that's when I, I really, and so I'm going to talk about my people right now, Pakistanis. Okay. And this is something I'm talking about on stage a ton. I'm very, I'm very disheartened by the number of Pakistanis getting into the shawarma business. Okay. So like I told you, if you want to make a uh, shawarma a la Italia, right? You want to make an Italian style shawarma, whatever garbage that tastes like. For the record, but, I would never do that. Okay. So I know you would never do that. Don't put that on me as though <laughs> this is what Marco seeks out to take a shawarma. That's not you. Put, no, okay. That's not you. And, okay. and, and, and that's, but if you did, that's fine. People okay. have hundreds of years of like eating a certain way and then they discover something, but they feel like they miss their own food. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, it's not my thing. I would, you know, really, I love the idea of exploring another culture and immersing yourself in another culture. You know, Vietnamese food, for example, so absolutely fantastic and fresh and spicy Thai food, the same. I can't imagine in my mind making like a Indo Vietnamese food. I'm like in general, I don't think there's a need, but you never know. You find something like, okay, the Vietnamese green onion, the scallion pancakes that the Koreans make, let's say not yeah, Vietnamese sure. as much, but the Korean scallion pancake. And you go, you know, what would be great in here? I'm going to add one thing and it's cumin seeds. And there's not really a lot of cumin in Korean food, but I sure. love cumin. Right. So that's how it starts. And then, Hey, you know, maybe I'll add something else, something else. It's fine. It's fine. As soon as profit comes in the motive, into the mix, I really don't like it because now you are profiteering off the food of somebody else. And if you're doing it with respect and if you're honoring a culture. So what I mean by that. Yeah. What do you I mean by that? Because then it becomes you, like, you. well, yeah, because, you know, I've been to restaurants, Indian restaurants 
uh, that have like, you know, Indian gods in a corner and an altar. And then when and then when I go in there, I don't see, you know, necessarily I don't see Indian folks running the restaurant. Right. So it becomes like, what where am I right now? But anyways, yeah. I want to hear what you mean. Yeah. By, by that. So uh, it, profit and respect go hand in hand yeah. in this case. So if you are making money off somebody else's food, off somebody else's culture, you should have at least honored that culture in some way. And what I mean by that is when I meet someone, you know, a Sri Lankan guy who's sure. a, a chef in an Italian restaurant, yeah. but they speak Italian. They spent mm-hmm. five years in Italy on their way from Sri Lanka to Canada. The journey stopped in uh, in in Italy, and they also learned German because they used to work at another place that was German. And they come from a place of like love and respect for the food, and you try the food, and you're like, "This is great." I don't have a problem with that. But if you just you heard, "Hey, there's money in shawarma. You should open up a shawarma place." And now you're just like, let's make money off these people's food. I don't like that. I don't like that. Now, if you lived in Dubai for 20 years of your life and you were a shawarma lover and you learned a right. little bit of Arabic and you you worked with people who taught you how their father's father made it, this is a different story. That's not the story I'm seeing. So there was something in the news a few years ago that perfectly, perfectly embodies this. Before we get there, I just want oh, to put some pushback. Yeah, because you're you're going to oh, go there and I just want to resp- I w- I need to yeah. respond to what you just said. Do it. Do it. I have a problem with this romanticizing how much knowledge one has to have with regards to cuisine, right? You're saying that this Sri Lankan guy has to learn how to speak Italian, has to have been to Torino or Roma on the way. I disagree with that. Like you could be a Sri and I've seen this because I've worked in Italian restaurants where a Sri Lankan um guy who's been working in the dish pit washing dishes works his way up and becomes uh, a cook alongside with the person to me that's the equivalent marco that's the same thing as a guy who stopped and learned italian i'm not saying you have to okay i'm saying there was some respect in the process you learned it you took time you embraced the whole scene and then said this is where i want my life to be because this is what i know and this is what i like okay but if you're just doing it purely for profit, you land here from Sri Lanka and some, one of your buddies goes, you know, what you should do open up a shawarma restaurant. There's money in shawarma. Okay. Great. I'll do it. Open up a pizza place. There's money in pizza. Now you just go through the, you know, the motions of and, and of course, everybody who's a franchise owner of a restaurant would be very upset to hear that. Right. If there's like. Whatever. I mean, what what ethnic restaurants have franchises? Oh, there's tons there's, of there's, them, there's, right? There's like there's hundreds of them. And you make there's plenty of people who come here as immigrants, have okay. some money and they're like, let's buy a franchise. But know nothing about that food. That doesn't excite me. That doesn't excite me. That's not my thing. Um, where it becomes particularly problematic for me. Yeah. Is this story that, uh, you know, it was in Portland, Oregon. Some people might have heard of this. OK, this is goes this goes back a few years, but it lives on in my heart. This is in 2017. These two women, white women, they open up a burrito pop-up. Okay? okay. Now, their problem, they have a few, but their main problem was their absolute cluelessness, in my perspective, and, as it turns out, in the perspective of Portlandians. Yeah. Portlanders. I don't know. Well, I think it's Portlandois. I don't know. <laughs> yes. So, um, these two women, Callie and Liz, goes by L.C., took a road trip to Puerto Nuevo in Mexico and they became, as they say, smitten with the tortillas. Okay. So she, one of the ladies goes, you know, in, in, in my broken Spanish, the worst, admit it. So she admits she has the worst Spanish. She's trying to be like, how do you make this? How do you make this? And she also admitted nobody was really telling us too much. They would tell us small things. 
And uh, right there, that to me is like, oh, Mexican women got your vibe. They were like, I'm not telling these ladies anything. Right. Uh, Anyway, so then this this one of the ladies, this is how clueless she is. She says they wouldn't tell us too much about the technique, but we were peeking into the windows of every kitchen, totally fascinated by how easy they made it look. The peeking into the windows of the kitchen says so much to me. And so then the, you know, the commentary was that, so then they come back based on what they've spied on and peeked and creeped around and like found it. You're not hiring any, any Mexicans. You're taking their food. You're profiteering off of it. And that's what the issue was in Portland. Very, very progressive town, notoriously. They were like, look, these are women who unapologetically have stolen the basis of some other women's livelihoods. Right. Right. And and they've done it so that other white people don't have to be inconvenienced of dealing with a pesky brown middle woman uh, getting in their way. They're exploiting centuries of tradition, survival in some cases. OK. And they bragged about it. They had no. And so within I, I think it was a week, the, the pop up went down and. Um, of course, you know, and Marco, you know, there were definitely people in Portland who were like, but the restaurant industry is not going to exist if you can only do things that are your own idea. And and I go through this with acting as well. Yeah. People are like, oh, no, you shouldn't play this role. Look, there's certain things. Blackface is despicable. And we should know that nobody should be dressing up in blackface to right. play black. There's hundreds of black actors sure. uh, who are in, obscenely talented who can play their own roles. But if I, as a South Asian guy, can only play Muslim and only Sunni Muslim, oh, yeah. you're not Shia, yeah. you're not a Shiite Muslim, yeah. you shouldn't play that. What I'm left with four roles total yeah. that no, I can no. play over a decade. So there is, there has to be some common sense about it. Well, it also has and to be like point is the intention of these women. Yeah, I he- I hear you. I hear what you're saying. You know, I I I face a challenge there too because even with regards to writing, as writers, you and I, like I remember someone telling me a story of. You know, they're from Newfoundland and they were talking about um, uh, come from away. And they were like, you know, two people from Ontario wrote this story about that takes place in Newfoundland. I'm like, it takes place in our own nation. If we can't write stories about our own nation, then what the hell? That would mean that you could only write stories about things that take place in Newfoundland. If you say Mm. that I can't write stories that take place in other provinces. Right. Have you have you seen come from away? I loved it. So the 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 issue of respect that I hold as important as profiteering yeah. is there. Yes. I feel like yes. it came from a place of respect. I think that's the biggest thing. I don't think it was like, let's make some money off these Newfoundlanders. They're never going to do this. Let's you know. And I think, of course, built in is a, a natural hatred of Ontario from yeah, fair many enough. parts of this country. And so that obviously colors it. But I believe from what I saw, it was done from a place of respect. Then it was done. And it, it put Newfoundland and Labrador on the map. Yeah. As have you seen the, it? Yeah, I have. I, it's, I love it. And, it's phenomenally and done. on the flip side of that coin, just last night, I was watching uh, like a Hallmark movie called From Italy with Amore. And not one actor there was Italian on screen who were playing Italians. And then... Already, I'm like, okay, maybe they couldn't find an Italian actor. Maybe there's nobody acting who's Italian out there uh, who could audition for this. I certainly didn't get an audition for it, but that's fine. What Mm. killed me was there was no one on set who was an Italian sort of eye. I don't know what you would call that person, but, you know, the person on set who's like the, the cultural advisor who could say, you're actually not saying that word right. Or no grandmother, there was a nonna role, no nonna 
in the 21st century dresses like that. What you're doing is you're taking something from the 1920s, this image of Italian grandmothers all in black, mm. mourning all the time with their hair pulled back uh, with not a stitch of makeup on. It's like, that's not what it's like today. Have you seen an Italian grandmother? Because I'd love to introduce you to my mother and her friends who are all Italian grandmothers who none of them look like this. So at the same time, it's you're right. There has to be a respect. There has to be someone on board who can be like, that's not quite right. Uh, yeah. Especially and if you're going I'm looking for at this movie. I just pulled it up on IMDb. Yeah. Uh, top cast, 13 mm. people, none of them Italian. Yeah. And the reviews are not good, my friend, for exactly the reasons that you have suggested. And I have a friend uh, who and- was on it. I was so happy to see him. He wasn't playing sure. Italian. He did a great job. But overall, at a certain point, I couldn't watch it. But I'm And, and yeah. I'm not just trying to pick on that movie. It just happened to be the one that I saw yesterday. There was another movie called Little Italy that was garbage. There's I can pick a, a ton of films where it's like you didn't even have someone on set to say no, yes, no. And it's like, that's really a shame. That's really a shame because then the authenticity isn't there. And then so what ends up happening is people like me see it and they're like, well, you're not, you don't care about my culture. You're just using it as a backdrop to tell your story because you're fetishizing this, this Italian romance. Right. And it's like, that's not that our, my culture is more complex than a nonna wine and, you know, romance. But anyways, no, absolutely. And I think people may or may not know this on movie sets, TV sets. There is something called an intimacy counselor. And it's almost unthinkable now that you would have uh, sex scenes in something, a union production, you know, a proper production that doesn't have an intimacy counselor there. I I feel like we should get there with cultural uh, counselors, cultural um, advisors, cultural advisors. Yeah, I think it's very important. And and the fact that this I was like. In my heart, Marco, I was like, oh, from Italy with Amore. Maybe it's from the 70s, from the right, 80s. Right. No, no, it's a brand new yeah. movie. Yeah. The fact that this is still happening is is actually, uh, it's deeply saddening. I mean, I don't know what, like, how much does it cost to have somebody there to be like, hey, first of all, I don't know where this filmed in Canada, but wherever it was. Alberta. You, you Italians are everywhere. You yeah. know that. Yeah. Right? You just you procreate like it's sure. nobody's business. So there's no trouble finding an Italian. That's the first thing. But a cultural counselor also, like you can have that role and it doesn't cost you much. And also you're respecting, yeah. respecting and honoring uh, a language, yeah. a people, a country. Yeah. Uh, you know, I'm not going to call you a civilization. Yet, That's too much. But And yet at the same time, I would never have a problem if you were in a film playing an Italian. It, it would not phase me at all. <clears throat> and I don't I don't necessarily think that when you think of, you know, a European culture that the person has to be white. You know, if I'm watching a show and it's about Italians, I I would have no problems with one of the parents being of a different color or uh, yeah, non-traditional European look, provided that, you know, there is some respect to the culture there. Like I you know, when I see cost uh, casting in like Shakespeare, let's say the Merchant of Venice and you have different colors and things, I think that's a wonderful thing. I uh, I wanted to tell you about a, a complexity here. Mm-hmm. You know, this is this is a, a personal thing in our house. I've heard. So a couple of things have happened. You know, I am uh, I'm a great fan of Mexican cuisine, Mexican yeah. culture. So sometimes we'll have like, we'll watch a Mexican film. It could be very goofy, like Nacho Libre. And yeah. we'll have like tacos, uh, nachos, or we'll watch something that's like a, a Spanish language film from Mexico. And we'll do this. 
obviously the younger kids can't read as fast, so they're not there. But another thing I love doing in May, there is the, you know, the Day of the Dead, Dios yeah. de los Muertos, Dios or Dia de los Muertos, if it's singular, right? So uh, the point is that it's a holiday that I've read a lot about. I would love to witness it in person in Mexico. I haven't. I have watched documentaries about it. It's exciting to me. I love everything around it. I love the idea of it. I love the art around it. It's sure. both frightening and exciting and all that. So I'll be like in our house, I'll be like, let's have a um let's have a you know day of the dead. Uh you know, let's do a um, me- Mexican night. Mexican sure. night. Whatever it is, whatever we're making, it can be burritos, it can be uh whatever the case is, many different layers of Mexican food, m- many different courses. And I've got a little pushback from my daughters, especially where they're like, that's cultural appropriation. So for me, it's like, number one, that's in our house. Number two, uh, why don't you take the opportunity yourselves to learn about something? If you think I am falling short, okay. I know I am not, but every time I try to explain to you what I've learned, there's also a lot of eye rolling. So there's like this kind of like back and forth. Like, I don't know what to tell you guys when it comes to cuisine, we're celebrating a cuisine. We're celebrating a piece. And it's also a way of educate, educating, right? These are my, my daughters are like the same girls who are like, would we, are we going to have a bar mitzvah one day? I'm like, first of all, bat mitzvah. Second of all, we're not Jewish. And third of all, you're 16. No, you're not. You know what I mean? Like I'm trying to bring some education open up their mind to different things, whether it be cuisine or culture. So we have this issue that happens in our house because the words cultural appropriation come so quick. Well, they're so loaded, right? Yeah. They're that, so loaded. Yeah. So consider consider what happens in a house where you don't celebrate any other cuisine, right? Another thing that happened, Marco, I, I want your take on this. I was in Kelowna, British Columbia. This is 2019. This is why they hate people from Ontario. Anyways, go on. Yeah, just because I was there. No, just me being what's, there was what's coming next? What's coming next? Well, no, no. I mean, maybe, maybe. Okay. okay. Um, in the lobby, there are, I'm going to say like 20 different artisans, all indigenous. Okay. Shawls, candles, sure. jewelry, all kinds of stuff, art, yeah. paint, paintings. And it's all pretty impressive. Now I have to take a plane back. I can't, there's not a lot of stuff that I wouldn't, like I just, I'm like, I can't, that's too much for my luggage. Sure, sure. But I see these beautiful earrings. Yeah. Beautiful earrings handmade by the person I'm looking at her. I take a picture of the earrings. I said, can I, do you mind if I take a picture? I'm going to send these to my daughters and see what they like. She's like, absolutely. So I text my daughters and I'm waiting and no response. So I call and my daughter's like, well, yeah, they're nice, but I don't want to be accused of cultural appropriation in school. Yeah. And now I'm like, okay, hold on a second. This term has blown up to the point where I can't even support an indigenous yeah. artisan. Yeah. I'm going to put money in somebody's pocket because I value the work they did and the thing they created. I'm not going to haggle. I'm not going to negotiate. Right. I am going to be like, this is wonderful. My daughters will hopefully wear this with, you know, some pride. They have a story attached to it. If I can get more information about this woman, who she is, where she comes from, who it is, is it her herself who makes it? I'm going to do all of that just to have that connection to this person. And still my daughter's like, I don't want to be accused of. So now, so now uh, an artisan will not have 80 to a hundred bucks in her hands because of a fear of that. So I feel like this is where the problem is that there has to be a little bit of common sense. Now, mind you, that was a 14 year old 
girl, my daughter sure. saying it at the time, but it is the sentiment of her school. And what happened very recently, very recently, and we're talking about 2023, January, sure. they are in a, my daughter's in a club at school that, um, oh God, I can't remember. It's some kind of like a, a glee club kind of thing. It's okay. like uh, just good vibes, a good vibes club of some kind. And they were like, what should we do for this day? That's like a, a day in school that they're going to celebrate. They're going to have like a little booth. And they're like, we could do henna painting. So henna is known as Mendy. Anybody who's been to an Indian or Pakistani wedding, you know that little design that are on women's hands. It's like a temporary tattoo that's really intricate. Tattoos, that's that's, exactly that's on right. women's hand that's made with a black um henna henna it's very ink. black yeah it, it, you you wipe it off once it dries and then it's this beautiful browner deep reddish brown, yeah reddish, a chianti yeah. color almost yeah chianti if yeah. you would like to inject your italian culture last, into for last my culture no so this one girl says we can't do that that's cultural appropriation and my daughter goes well i am a brown person and i don't think it's cultural appropriation and the teacher who, who runs the group goes yes it is Oh, wow. We're not doing that. Right. So my daughter comes home and tells me that. I go, do you remember what you said to me in Kelowna? Anyway, <laughs> doesn't matter what you said, but this is a problem. Why would a teacher not be like, you know what? I think it, it could be regarded as that, but why don't we take an opportunity to learn about henna, why it's done, where this tradition comes from, and then have like a thing where we educate other people. This is what this is. Instead, boom, write it off. I mean, right. that's cultural appropriation. So what does that world look like? Yeah, That is a world where nobody understands anybody. We're not honoring people's culture. We're not learning about sure. other people's culture. We're not practicing other cultures with respect. We are simply like, oh, I don't know about that. I don't want to know about that. I'm not supposed to know about that. That is complete bullshit. It's complete bullshit in my mind. I agree. And like to what you said at the top of the show, how you take a frittata and you'll add certain items that aren't traditional uh, that go with that frittata, right? If we didn't allow chefs the ability to cook food that wasn't in their culture, we wouldn't have some of the beautiful fusion food that we have today. We wouldn't have some of the, you know, unique food that is born from other cultures that now is being is considered food in itself, like Tex-Mex, you know. It's a it's a sort of amalgamation of me, uh, food from Mexico and food from, you know, Texas. Uh, you know, we wouldn't have some glorious things that we actually enjoy eating, celebrate if we said only the people from these nations can cook and eat only the foods in their own nations. It's a slippery slope, brother. Yeah. I mean, you know, you really like if somebody makes, you know, some kind of um crepes is it like wait are you french should you yeah. be making crepes and then you put some let's say some caviar some russian caviar mm -hmm. on your crepe and some sour cream like wait hold on are you russian are you allowed to use it i mean like what do we it is i don't think people who think this way are thinking a couple of steps ahead yeah it's really and 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 you know often it is white people who have been trained to feel like they should be on top of all of this sure. and the gatekeepers of what is offensive and what is, you know, appropriation and what is, it's also, you know, as I mentioned in Portland, it was also that the couple can be white as well. The, 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 the committers of the appropriation, but right. then the gatekeepers are also the same. And it's like, you know, the teacher certainly was in my daughter's school. And I was, I, I can't tell you how disappointed I am in that. I can't tell you how disappointed, whether it's, henna or anything else cultural or it's a day i don't think you should put on um a mask 
and be like, look, I'm 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 doing the Day of the Dead thing. Right. I don't think you should do that without having an understanding of why you're doing that, what it means, what it represents. And you should take pride in that. So if somebody goes, I think that's cultural appropriation, you could be like, really? What do you do about Day of the Dead? Right. Because I spent the last week reading about it. Sure. This is a documentary I watched, and this is what I did. And I have some respect for what it's all about, which is why I wore this mask. So why don't you... There go suck go. on an egg. All right. right. So let me challenge you with this, okay? Because we talked a lot about food here. We talked some about food and, and cultural cultural aspects of it. Have you ever been to a tiki bar? I have been to a tiki bar. Okay. So yeah. you've probably noticed that they're popping up more and more. Certainly there's a couple in our city. I've been to a few. It's it's one of the feel-good types of bars, right? You go into a tiki bar and already you're in a better mood, one can say, Right. And they've got unless you're thinking about who owns the tiki bar. Right. Well, how like, you know, what does tiki mean? Like tiki, you know, is from the Pacific Islands and it's yeah. from a Maori word that, you know, means carved image of a god or an ancestor or is, you know, that half man, half god, um, which symbolizes the mythical characters who created human beings. So one could say God if you if you take that even further. Right. Yeah, uh, but the tiki bar that we know, if you've never been to one, is that kind of kitschy sort of drinking hole with all the gu- gimmicky souvenirs and things decor on the wall. Um, it's a, <clears throat> very tropical, very yeah. Polynesian. Uh, you know, often you have those palm trees yeah. and this kind of it's a lot of retros. Yeah, yeah, retro because it was started. So just to give a little bit of history, Ernest Gant, better known as Don Beach, opened up the re- the bar Don the beachcomber in Southern California in 1933. Mm. He became known for his tiki drinks, as you were saying, you know, very colorful drinks, little umbrellas in it, whatnot. And they were elaborate and theatrical and they featured fresh juices, house-made syrups. And some of them had up to 10 ingredients in them. All right, Ali, Mm. you follow so far? Sure, sure. All right, then came Victor Bergeron, who was inspired by what he what he saw at Don the Beachcomber. So Vic opened up his own tiki restaurant in Northern California in 1937. So a few years later, his place included a gift shop, incorporated more of a nautical accents and shipwrecked decor. Uh, he and and that was called Trader Vic's. You may have heard of Trader Vic's because yep. there's been a, sure. and both both Trader Vic's and Don the Beachcomber. They became chains as well, chain bars. And there were 25 Trader Vicks uh, by the, in the 1960s, and there was about 16 Don the Beachcombers. After World War II, Tiki really took off, and that's where you saw a lot of themed restaurants. Um, and they had that sort of, that they evoked that island living, that sort of tropical feel, palm trees, tribal masks, topless native women in grass skirts type decor everywhere. And it became kitschy. And, you know, even the drinking vessels that you would drink out of were like in the shape of tiki, tiki uh, statues and whatnot. So, you know, there's an element of certainly an element of uh, cultural appropriation there. So my question to you, Ali, is can we still enjoy a tiki bar or drink something from a tiki glass? Or are we continuing to perpetuate that appropriation of a culture and their belief systems? I, I I love that that grenade to you. I love I I love that question. I think again, it's like you know, I'm I'm not the guy who's like guys. I can't meet at this tiki bar. Tiki is cultural appropriate, but I would go, and I would definitely see if there's any sort of 
respect for the culture or is it all kitsch? Right. You, know, you, can, you can have a home tiki bar as well with all these things just to create a vibe in your own home. I think it's great if you have some knowledge of why you're doing it and where it comes from and who it's a tribute to. You don't. It's not the end of the world. Again, yeah, now profit comes into the mix, yeah. right? At a tiki bar. So if I see it's a place that has no signs up of like, here's where tiki originated, here's that, you know, we're in, we're in Northern Canada. You can't always get, you know, Polynesian sure. staff or managers. And right. I understand there's some, you know, so do you not have a tiki bar? But if there's no respect for that culture in any way, I'll tell you that I'm probably not going back there. Even if I had a great time, right? I'm probably going to be like, man, I get a little bit of a gross feeling. Yeah. That's like me when I go to Olive Garden, which I don't do, but that's Olive Garden is the equivalent to what you've sure. just said, where it's like, it's all kitschy. The food is not authentic. No one gives a care about anything. All they want to do is exploit this sort of feeling of Italianness. I speak from my, from my own culture, of course. Now there is a shift, Ali, to, 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 to change it from tiki to more tropical. So rather than a tiki bar, you're going to a tropical bar and remove those sort of images of, you know, tiki statues and, and ceremonial things and like less, less of that sort of hula fetish, fetishization and whatnot in the bar and just make yeah. it, you're coming here. It could be South Florida. It could be Waikiki. It could be just anywhere tropical and you're going to have tropical drinks, right? Hmm. So I have a lot of respect for that. Yeah. I have a lot of respect for that. Like somebody who goes, you know what? This is a culture. This is something that we are not connected to. We're we're basically exploiting the culture to get, you know, to make great margins on drinks that we did not grow up drinking and this is not our thing. Let's make a move to make it tropical theme and not a tiki bar, uh, you know, explicitly. I, I have a lot of respect for that. I appear, I, you know, I, I read a, I read an article about a bar that made that transition. I'm going to support that go. bar until they have bad drinks and bad food. Then yeah. I'm out of them, but, but I'm giving them a chance. I, I like that. I like that. I like that, that, that sent sentiment and that, um, that respect for sure. Love it. Love it. And when I was doing my research on all this, I found a tropical recipe from Dom the Beachcomber. And if you'll indulge me, I'd like to share this with everyone because I was like, this is the drinks that they made in the 30s in this bar that are so complex, Ali, that have so much ingredients that I'm like, wow, this is like incredible. Okay. All right. Let's take the original cultural appropriator and here's his drink. Well, I what I did was I took I took a recipe that didn't have a cultural appropriate name. So there was a, okay. a few recipes right. that like yeah. were words in Maori uh, or had like, you know, some some tiki type words to it. And I was like, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to take one that to me seems like it's not going to to do that. Is it the zombie? Is it the zombie? No, because uh, we've because no. we've covered zombie on we've the, done on a zombie the show. Here, exactly. It's called Cobra's Fang. Cobra's fang. Okay? okay. Okay. All right. So this is what was fascinating with this, right? One and a half ounces of dark Jamaican rum, half an ounce of 151 proof Demir uh, rum, half ounce of Falernum, which is a syrup, like a like a like a syrup, uh, half ounce of lime juice freshly squeezed, half ounce of orange juice freshly squeezed, half ounce of a half ounce of fascianola syrup. And fascianola syrup is a syrup that Don made and took with him to his grave. So people have had to sort of figure out what that syrup had in it, Ali. 
And mm. supposedly that syrup has a ton of fruit juices. Look, uh, passion fruit, papaya juice, tart cherry juice, orange juice, guava juice, canned pineapple juice, fresh pineapple juice, apple juice, citric acid, dried hibiscus flowers, and white sh- and white sugar that you make into a um, syrup. Okay. Supposedly, it tastes very much like Hawaiian punch, if you're familiar with that particular uh, beverage. And then in the Cobra's Fang, you also add a half uh, a dash of absinthe, a dash of Angostura bitters, and then you garnish it with a lime wheel, mint sprig, pineapple, uh, you know, orange slice, whatever you want. But that is a Cobra's Fang, and it's labor-intensive and has mm. a lot in it and sounds fantastic. I will tell you this. I, you know, I can't let these things go. It's Demerara, Demerara rum, by the sorry. way. Yeah. You did something. I don't know what you did. It hurt my ears to hear it. Demerara, uh, an area of what is now Guyana. Guyana, yeah. And Demerara sugar originally yeah. came from that region, and it's a type of sugar that uh, that they use to make the rum. I don't think it's exclusive to Guyana anymore, but uh, Demerara run is, it, rum is great. And uh, I would just have that on the rock. I'd probably give up. At seven different stages of that cocktail, because I don't have that thirst for cocktail purity the way you do. Well, it's also, you know, this is a labor intensive drink to make. And you would understand why these bars opened up where it's like if you're going to make these types of drinks, that you're going to make a lot of them. If you're going to if you're going to squeeze, you know, orange juice, passion fruit juice, you know, uh, pineapple juice, if you're going to have all these tropical juices then that's what you're going to do. You're not going to just do it for one drink. So if you go into, you know, just a regular bar, let's say a steak joint, and you ask for one of these tropical drinks, they're going to be like, we don't do that because there's Mm. so much in it. There's so many juices involved. If we only use it for this one drink, we got to be making a lot of them. So we say no to all of them. Yeah, I mean, yeah, totally. This is... um... You know, if you're ever having a themed party in your home, again, you know, I, I this is where I, I think cultural appropriation can just, you know, be put at bay because this is your own home and there's no profit. But it's really, um, as I look at the pictures, beautiful flowers, the beautiful colors of guava and orange and pineapple, like you could have a lot of fun with, you know, tropical themed drinks and i think as the summer starts the spring even starts and you're anxious to get into summer not a bad idea yeah now of course the labor intensive you got to find some maybe easy ways and have those mixes ready on hand but that's uh next time we have you over marco well it's funny you know passion fruit of course yeah no because it'll kill me but listen if it's called cobra's fang there's got to be a bit of sting to it right so i get it that'll be the poison but here's the funny (laughs) thing is ali i know that years ago Maybe about five years ago, I bought a friend of mine tiki mugs because I knew that he liked, you know, tropical drinks and whatnot. Right. And I didn't I didn't make this association between, you know, the fact that it's like, you know, uh, a religious thing for the Maori people. Right. And I'm buying it. And I see these tiki. I see these tiki mugs everywhere. And I think, you know, I'm not I'm going to certainly choose not to drink in a tiki cup until they make a cup that has Jesus's head that I can drink from the top of. That's that's where I'm. If, if you if you're going to serve it to me in a Jesus mug, I'm cool with it. All right. I'll keep that in mind for the next time you're over. OK, listen, this was a this is a hot topic yeah. as, as far as uh, many people are concerned. I think Marco and I are no exception. 
would love to hear from you for sure via email via um what is the uh, uh i guess email is the best way instagram right? is... you can you can tell oh, us yeah, on direct messages on instagram that's uh, right twitter whatever you want to reach out to us let us know what your thoughts are we'd love to hear from you we're back in two weeks with another episode the next episode will definitely dive into uh recipes yes. food and drink and uh We'll have a great time. In the meantime, uh, enjoy your lives to the fullest. Eat well, drink well. I'm Ali Hassan. I'm Marco Timpano. Until we eat and drink again. <laughs>